If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke the 15th chapter. In Luke the 15th chapter, we find three parables that Jesus gives. I want to look at one. And then we're going to go back over to James chapter 5. In Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, it says, And He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over the ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. I often say that we can, for those that may not trust the Bible, that you can test the Bible. That you can take it and you can put it into action and see if it really works. I remember years ago, I, my wife and I, during vacation Bible school, was teaching the first grade class. And we were discussing this parable in class. And I, prior to the beginning of class, had taken a stuffed lamb, a stuffed animal that was a lamb, and I took it outside and I hid it in some brush. And as we discussed the parable, we decided to go and look for the lost sheep. Now we had a group of first graders that went outside and they were searching high and low. And finally, one or two of the people or kids in the class found the sheep. They found that stuffed animal. Do you think they kept quiet about it? No. They were rejoicing just like it says in this parable over someone who goes and looks for that lost sheep. They were jumping up and down. They were excited because they had found the lost sheep. Even though it was a stuffed animal, I think that it demonstrates what Jesus wants us to see. Our souls are valuable. Jesus says, What shall a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? A soul is something that is very valuable. And so when it's lost, it's something that we should be concerned about. And when I think about this parable, and it talks about the individual that lost the sheep, I often wonder, who is that individual? Because we look at some of these parables and we can see God in it, especially with the prodigal son. But in this parable, who is the shepherd that's going out and looking for that lost sheep? I believe that it's you and me. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus here on this earth. You and I as Christians have a responsibility to seek and to save those that are lost. And when we look in the book of James, we see a person who writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he gives us some very practical living, everyday living encouragement in the book of James. And as he closes out his letter, he encourages people to be concerned about lost souls. We find other passages of Scripture that tell us how important it is to be a soul winner for Christ. And I wanted to talk about this because it goes along with our theme from this morning. 
that we need to be revived, we need to be reminded of our responsibility as Christians. That sometimes we lose sight of the purpose that we have in serving God. It's not about me. It's not about uh, you as an individual. It's about serving God. And I'm reminded of the time that I read in the newspaper where Burger King had forgotten how to make a Whopper. And they had to call the original maker of the Whopper to come in and teach them how to make a Whopper. And I remember at the time when you looked, if you bought a Whopper, it didn't look like you see in the picture. But after he had retrained the people, that Whopper changed. But I thought how ironic that a company that was known for the Whopper, the home of the Whopper, could forget how to make a Whopper. Brethren, sometimes I think we forget what our responsibility is to those that are lost. We have a responsibility that God has given to us to go out into the world and to preach the Gospel. And those that go back into the world after they've obeyed the Gospel, we have a responsibility to try to bring them back. In Proverbs chapter 11, and verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. When was the last time that you as an individual became involved in rescuing someone that has erred from the truth? In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I believe that the picture here that we see not only here in Galatians, but also in James chapter 5, is an individual who, like that sheep, has just kind of wandered off. Most of the time when people fall away from the church, it isn't something that they got up one morning and just said, hey, uh, guess what? Today's the day. I'm done. It's something that takes place over a period of time. It's a gradual process. And it's sort of like the sheep that I've been told that they start eating, they start grazing, and before you know it, if you're not careful, they have wandered away from the rest of the flock. And I believe that that's what happens in a lot of cases with us. We don't intend for it to get as far as it gets. We don't intend to leave Christ. We don't intend to leave the truth. But it happens. Maybe through neglect. Maybe by doing things that we know that we shouldn't. And finally our conscience becomes seared to where the things that once encouraged us to do the right thing no longer encourages us to do the right thing. But I want you to notice what James chapter 5, and verse 19 and 20 says. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he that converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. The intent of this lesson, or my purpose for this lesson tonight, is to remind us of our responsibility and to encourage us 
to reach out to the lost and to take the light of the Gospel to them. To look around and see people that we know should be here and do what we can to encourage them to come back. The Bible tells us there in James chapter 5 and verse 19, if a brother err. In some translations it says, <clears throat> if a brother wander or strays from the truth. In other words, as I said, it's not always an intentional thing that we got up one morning and we say we're going to stray from the truth, but before we know it, when life has gone on and we haven't really paid attention to where we're at, we find ourselves away from God. And I hear people say, I don't feel as close to God as I used to. I don't feel as needed in the church as I used to. I don't feel as important as I should uh, to the cause of Christ. And let me remind you that Jesus says every single one of us is important. We are needed. As we mentioned in Bible class this morning, out here in the auditorium, those that are weak are needed in the church also. Just like those that are strong. Those that are weak need to become stronger as they grow. But we also need to realize that it all makes up the body of Christ. A Christian can fall from grace and sin so as to be eternally lost. I know that there are some denominations that are out there that teach that once saved, always saved, that you cannot fall from grace, but I do not believe that the Bible tells us that that is the truth. We realize that we must remain faithful to God. That we must abide in Christ. That we must stay in that position in order to be right with God. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, we know in the Galatian letter he was dealing with those that were trying to bring some of the old law over into the New Testament or the New Covenant. And they were trying to make Christians, New Testament Christians, follow things that were provided for the Old Testament that were no longer in effect. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. There the Bible uses that term that those that he's talking to were Christians. And that they could fall from grace. And so that's a warning not only for them, but for us that we can fall from grace also. Second Peter chapter two verses twenty through twenty two. For if ever ye have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse than for, worse with them than the beginning. I want to stop right there because one of the arguments that I hear from people that believe in once saved always saved <clears throat> is that if you go back into the world, you were never saved in the first place. But when you look at the context that it's talking about here, it's talking about individuals that were saved. That they were in a saved condition. In Galatians chapter 5, they were in a saved condition, but they could fall from grace. And the same is true here that Peter is dealing with in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. They'd escaped the pollutions of the world. They've gotten out of sin. They had obeyed the gospel through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but they had again become entangled therein. They had got entangled with the things that they had gotten out of. Verse 21, For if it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it, to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them, 
But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog <coughs> is turned to its own vomit again, and a sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. There we see a picture of someone who was cleansed, who was purified, who was justified by the blood of Christ. But now they're being compared to a dog that's returned to its vomit and a sow that's been washed to going back and wallowing in the mire. And that's the picture that we see. A Christian who has obeyed the gospel but been cleansed by the blood of Christ. They are in a saved condition, but they've wandered back into the world and have become entangled in those things, which is just like that sow that's been washed going back and wallowing in that mud. That's the picture that we see. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26-29, through 29, listen to what it says. <clears throat> For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. For he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of foot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? The writer of Hebrews is showing us that under the old law, people died at the mouth of two or three witnesses. That they may have been put to death because they had violated the law in some way. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to show us that that's the condition, that's the price that they paid. What is the price that we're going to pay if we willfully sin because we're trotting under the foot the blood of Christ? I say all of this because I want us to realize the situation that we are in when we leave God, when we turn away from the truth. We're in a lost state. And the Scripture showing us that you're in a worse condition than you were when you first believed or when you, before you became a Christian. Most often, one strays through neglect Bring attention, not by a deliberate choice. We don't always see the beginnings, or we don't recognize the beginnings. We realize that we need to pray. We realize that we need to study the Bible. We need realize that we need to fellowship. <clears throat> we realize a lot of things that we need as a Christian. But sometimes the last step that we see that takes place is when they stop coming to church. When they stop coming to the services. I'm of the belief that their departure started long before that day. I would suspect that in most cases they'd stop praying like they should. I would imagine that they stopped studying like they should. Or maybe they never started to begin with. Maybe they didn't do what they should have done to keep that fire burning in their soul. I want you to notice in James chapter 5 and verse 19 what it says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth 
the brother is in peril, not because he strayed away from Christ, but in this particular case, it's talking about from the truth. We need to understand that God's Word is truth. It matters what we believe. It matters what we believe the Bible teaches. And that we need to be united and we need to understand what it says. And we need to have faith in what it says. We need to trust it. One of the biggest problems that we have is a lack of trust in what God's Word says. He tells us how to handle different situations and many times we'll say, ah, that, yeah, that just doesn't work. It don't work. I know it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I tried it and it failed. It doesn't work many times because we really don't try the method that God has given us. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, "...and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." In John 17 and verse 17, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Brethren, in some churches, of even churches of Christ, they don't even know what the truth is. Many used to think like we think, that the truth is God's Word, that what He says is the truth. But there are many today that want to change that. And we don't know what the truth is. First Timothy chapter four verse sixteen. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Those were the words that Paul gave to Timothy. We know that Paul knew who he believed in. He trusted God. And you think of all the evil that he had done prior to becoming a Christian. It took faith to trust God to forgive Him of those things. But yet we see His faith. We see His faith not only in word, but in action. And He's telling Timothy to continue in the doctrine. Continue in the truth. God's Word does not change. The doctrine does not change. But yet we have people all over that want to change what the Bible teaches. And I wonder how many of us, if someone came in and wanted to change the doctrines of Christ, how many would go along with it if they could sell it as something that sounded good? God's Word is truth. Our faith must be based upon that Word. Because His Word is truth, and that's what sanctifies us. In 2 John verse 9, "...whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrines of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrines of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son." Do we want to abide in the doctrines of Christ? I think right there is very plain. If we don't, we don't have God. We don't have Christ. If we abide in the doctrines of Christ, then we have both the Father and the Son. So is doctrine something that we can determine? And if so, how do we do that? We do it from God's Word. We trust it. We practice it. So we can err from that truth. And when that happens, people's souls are in jeopardy. And so people need to wake up. Because in that verse it goes on, 
Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one converts him, someone brings him back. That's what another translation says. We have an obligation to each other. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we've already looked at that verse, but it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, <clears throat> ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we go on those rescue missions to try to save individuals, especially those that have departed from the faith, those that are Christians and have gone back into the world, we need to understand that when we go out to, to, to go to those individuals, <clears throat> that we have to watch out for ourselves also. I've been in a lot of situations. I'm sure others here have been in situations that can be very discouraging when you try to show someone what they need to do. It's amazing when you see people that have been faithful and they know what faithful means and they stop doing all of those things and you go and you talk to that individual and they say, oh, I'm still faithful to God. I pray every day. Is that all there is to being faithful? They know that. There's more to it. But when you go, you need to consider yourself. Why? Because you can be tempted also. Maybe not by what they're doing, but by something else. And that's why it's important that we examine ourselves and look at ourselves and take care of sin that's in our life. Because we realize that sin separates us from God. Again, Proverbs 11 and verse 30, He that winneth souls is wise. And so when you go to that individual and try to help that individual... You have to put on the whole armor of God. And sometimes it's not going to work. Not the armor. But sometimes our <clears throat> trying to win them back to Christ doesn't work because they don't want to. They don't want to be saved. And it's sad when that happens, but sometimes we have to move on and go to the next person. But when we look at the New Testament, we see many different passages of Scripture that talks about togetherness. We sometimes refer to them as one another passages. In John chapter 15 and verse 12, it says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, forbearing one another in love. And Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. In Hebrews chapter 4, or chapter 3, verse 13, but exhort one another daily. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, 
seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Brethren, when we go to people that are in a lost condition, whether they're members of the church or whether they're people in the world that are lost, they need to be able to see our love for their soul. And when you go with a club to beat them over the head, that's not very loving. We've all seen people that do those kind of things. They need to see true love. They need to know that you really are concerned about their soul. Because you have the Spirit of Christ in you. And yes, sometimes you may have to say things that they don't want to hear. And sometimes you may have to say things that may sound offensive because it is the truth of God's Word. But you still have to say what God wants us to say. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Say what God's Word says. My own desire is always if people are going to be offended, I hope it's not by the way I, or my personality or the way that I present it, but it's through the Word of God. Now, that doesn't always work. But God's Word will offend enough people because it's the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, but we still have to present it. Why? Because that's the only thing that can save their soul. So they need to see our love that we have when we go. They need to see the concern that we have for their soul. But they also need to look at us and see our desire to do what's right, to live the right way, that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world, that there's something different about us. James chapter 5 and verse 20 goes on to say, and saves the soul from death. <clears throat> Death is not the end, but it is a transition. Death literally means a separation. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, when Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, God gave them instructions. But He said, Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Anyone that's read Genesis chapter 2 and 3 realizes that Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, they ate of that forbidden fruit. They did not immediately fall down to the ground dead or in the doornail. But their sin separated them from God. As a result of their sin, we know that physical death comes to us all. But the death that we're talking about here is a spiritual death. The separation of God. How many die a spiritual death because of my lack of concern about their soul? Ask yourself that. How many people that you know have died in a lost condition because you had no concern for their soul? In Psalm chapter 32, verse 1, 
Father David says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I sometimes wonder, do we really know what sin does to our soul? In Isaiah chapter 59, beginning at verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, <clears throat> neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Sin separates us from God. It's a separation that none of us want in our lives. We certainly do not want to be separated from God on the day of judgment because we know that that's the final judgment. And when we're separated on that day and we're sent to the left, we'll be separated from God for eternity. Brother, I want us to realize one thing about hell. We may be separated from God now because of sin but we still benefit from the goodness of God while we're here on this earth. The sun still shines on us. The rain still descends upon us. But in hell, there will be no presence of God. It's something that I don't believe any of us can even imagine because we've never lived a day in our lives without God being involved with it. Think about the separation. That's what sin does to us. It separates us from God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. <clears throat> the basic definition of sin is missing the mark. God expects us certain things out of us. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. We're striving for that. We are to mature, but we're not going to be sinless. As I said this morning, we will always need the blood of Christ. I've run across people that believe that they can be sinless. But when I listen to their prayers, they always pray that God will forgive them of their sins. We sin. The Bible plainly tells us that. It's not something that we want to do. We're supposed to be dead to sin. We're not looking for ways to sin, but sometimes we do. And when that happens, God has made a way for us to be saved. For the alien sinner, the person that's never obeyed the Gospel, they have to hear the Word of God. They have to believe that Word. They have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They have to repent of their sins, turn away from those things. Just as we've seen this morning in the, on the day of Pentecost when Peter said, repent and be baptized. What for? The remission of sin. You want your sins taken away? Then you need to repent and be baptized. Did they already believe? They most certainly did. Peter had preached the Gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And they interrupted his sermon with, men and brethren, what shall we do? When he told them that they by wicked hands had crucified the Savior. So they believed. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And they needed to repent, turn away from their sin, change their life, and be buried with their Lord in baptism so their sins could be remitted, taken away 
by the blood of Christ. That's what we need to do. We see in the case of the Ethiopian eunuch that a confession was made. And he said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he stated that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And they both went down in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they came up out of the water. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. My friend, that's what Jesus says we need to do in order to be saved. But once we are saved and we sin, <coughs> He made a way that we could come back. You see, if He expected us to never sin as a Christian, He wouldn't have made a way for us to have forgiveness after we became one. And He's made a, made a way. And He tells us that if we'll confess, his, confess our sin to Him, that He is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin. And so certainly we realize the importance of repentance and turning away from that and trying our best to not do those things again. But we need the blood of Christ. And the world needs the blood of Christ. <clears throat> and the only one to take it to the world is the church of our Lord. And we're part of that. And that's our responsibility. And I hope that you're involved with soul winning. I hope that you're striving to help someone to see the truth. I encourage you to be patient with them. Because sometimes it's tough. You realize the importance. They haven't come to that conclusion yet. But be patient. Show them the love of Christ in your life. Show your dependence and your faith that you have in God's Word. And help them to see the truth. And encourage them as you live your life in service to Him, that they will be interested and ask questions. And when they do, try to answer those questions. And if you don't know the answer, tell them you don't know the answer. <clears throat> but I'll do the best I can to find it if there is an answer. There are questions that there are no answers to. But always get back with them when you make that promise. Souls are valuable. We need to understand that. Look around and see people that you come in contact with that you know. Do all that you can to help them to see what they need to do in order to be saved. Think for a moment, is there anyone that you know that needs to be saved? Ask yourself, have you addressed that matter in their life? Have you addressed it with them? Don't wait till they're gone. Do it now. You have that opportunity to come tonight. If you're not a Christian and become one, have a seat up here on the front row. If you need our prayers, we're here to help you in any way that we can. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.